I love being here. Gary and I love being here. Just one of those mornings, I think, we're all just going to cry. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, I'm going to tell you, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. And you can tell the rain is coming by the messages that God wants spoken throughout his churches around the country. When we look here at our particular home, it's discipleship. And you're back. So some of you may not have been here the last few weeks. Is this the last discipleship? Okay. So when, when God speaks and, and says, why don't you speak about this, speak about that, especially when he, there's a series, it's as if he's saying, come and look through my eyes and see what's going on in this area within your church, within your own heart, but then as a community. And so God's been speaking to us about discipleship and what that looks like. So you can go online and, you know, check it out. I think this has been the fifth week, fifth week. So um, it's really important because I feel like he's saying there, there's more for us regarding discipleship than what we're experiencing right now. So doing PowerPoint, never done PowerPoint before. So, you know, please have patience. It could be really ugly. But I'm hoping that it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good. So uh, does anybody know Isaiah 66 too? Does anybody know what that verse is? This morning, I am going to make you knowing scripture worth your while. I have Starbucks cards. You may not use your phones. Put them down. You know, you see the coffee addicts grabbing for their phones. Quick, we'll Google it. We'll Google it. 62, yeah, yeah, no kidding. Okay, so Isaiah 66, too. This is all just uh, building up, building up. Okay, yeah. Will, put it down. Put it, yo, oh, yeah, okay. Will's taking pictures with that phone. Sure he is. Okay, so Isaiah 66, too, is one of my favorite. My the way I go about scripture is probably so off, but I like the ones that make me just go, oh my gosh, what is he saying? I like the nice fluffy ones, but I tend more to be, Isaiah 66, 2 is one of those. Isaiah 66, 2 is, but on this one I will look, on him who is poor, with a contrite heart, and this is the important part, who trembles at my word, who trembles, who hears my voice, who reads my words and tremble at his word. Like Lion King, my little kids, my kids were little, we were like Lion King people, and you know that part where they go, Mufasa, ooh, because Mufasa was the king, and all the animals, and everyone knew that he was the king, and they loved him, yet they feared him. Kind of like Narnia, right? He's not safe, but he loves us. When uh, I was trying to think of things today where people tremble, I think of me, um, you know, like uh, military, if you're a private. This time of year, it might be a pledge at a fraternity house, right? <laughs> You're trembling at what they're going to do to you. My daughter was on a lacrosse team when she was in, in high school, and she had this coach who was absolutely terrifying. And those girls trembled at this coach, trembled at her. Unbelievable. One morning, well, it was actually the middle of the night, my daughter found herself completely dressed, standing at the front door with her lacrosse equipment, 
because she had a dream the coach was in her room screaming at her, come on, come on, come on, come on, you can do better, you can do better, you can do better. She woke up and she was like, I've lost my mind. I've lost my mind. <laughs> I am terrified of this woman. But interestingly enough, they went on to win the state championship. And I, the girls were over our house just recently, and they were talking about this coach, and they said, really, she was the best coach we ever had. Because there's something about that authority. There's something about that person who sees more in you than you see in yourself and calls it out and says, come on, come on, you can do better. There's a higher place for you to go. Don't stay here in mediocrity. You know, Song of Solomon, I love Song of Solomon. And, and, and Jesus, the beloved in the Song of Solomon, he's calling the Shulamite. And he's saying, come on, come to the higher place. And she says at first, I'm scared. I'm really comfortable where I am. I'm going to stay here. And what does he do? He goes ahead without her. But she's so in love with him that she goes, I'm, I'm scared, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you to that higher place. And that's, I feel like, what God is saying to us as a community. I've got a higher place in discipleship for you than what you are experiencing now. So let's all get on board and let's go. Let's go this year, the beginning of a year at September. Let's go and see what God has for us in this place. Poor Gary's like, she's off already, and we're not even on slide one. <laughs> oh, bring her back. Please, God, bring her back, right? <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's okay, Gary. It's okay. It'll be fine. So, oh, look, here we are. Oh, yeah. I love those slides. I, got, I picked that template out, which, of course, turned out to be this huge hassle because it shows building. And it shows, you know, when you go mountain climbing, which I don't do, they have those rocks that show you this is the way to go, right? But this is the way to go. This is the way for us to go, okay? So, so this is a little harsh. I was going to put it at the beginning, and then I thought, well, I'll do the harsh stuff at the beginning so that at the end you're feeling a little bit better. I've got my favorite discipleship story. I have, God's given me awesome stories. I promise you, if you hang with me, I will give you a story at the end of this that'll either make you fall on your face in awe of God or you'll sob, okay? So hang with me. Okay, so this is the hard part. This is the hard part, okay? The challenge to be all in. I like Francis Chen. I just like him. Yet somehow, many have come to believe that a person can be a Christian without being like Christ. A follower who doesn't follow. How does that make any sense? Many people in the church have decided to take on the name of Christ and nothing else. This would be like Jesus walking up to those first disciples and saying, hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? Don't worry, I don't actually care if you do anything I do or change your lifestyle at all. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. It's deep, but it's true. And I think we really need to pay, pay attention to that. And, and you really care. And you may be saying, I, I don't know if I really care. But do you know why you really care? Do you, do you want me to tell you why you really care? Because your lives will depend on it. I truly believe some of your lives will depend on you being true disciples, being true followers of Christ to the measure that he wants you to be, that he is calling us as a community to be. You can stay on this one because um, the flip side of that is when I was doing some research, I came across this InterVarsity blog thing. 
that um, I'm going to read to you because I think it points out what we're talking about here. A disciple is best described not in terms of relationship with things, but in terms of relationship with God himself. If this is a little too static a definition for you, consider the dilemma of defining anyone who is in relationship. For example, try to define a husband. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. You could say that a husband does certain things, acts kindly towards and cares for his wife, understands certain things, the commitment of marriage, the psyche of, of a wife, which I don't think is possible for a husband to truly understand, but that's another story for another day. But if you're a wife... I think you want something better and deeper than that. A wife wants her husband to define himself not in terms of what he does or thinks, but in terms of his relationship with her. It is one thing to have a dutiful, sensible, and even tempered husband. It's quite a different marriage to be passionately pursued by a man who wants to be intimately involved in all aspects of your life and is fully committed to you, and you know it. And so it is with God. God desires our passionate love. This is the great appeal and the command of the whole of the scriptures and the end point of the gospels. As a result, our definition of a disciple should be no less. Yes, a disciple doesn't understand certain things, yet far more fundamentally and profoundly, a disciple is someone who has decided to love a certain someone. Okay, we can go to the next one, sorry. So, where are we going to go this morning? We're going to go quickly. We are, I promise. So, discipleship is comprehensive. I need my glasses now. Um, If we are a disciple, we are told to make them also. Huge. Huge. If you are one, you need to make them. Okay? I'm going to just go through them, and then we'll, we'll backtrack. Discipleship is costly. Being a disciple and making them is very costly. If you are incomplete or imbalanced in your faith your disciples will be as well. A true disciple seeks the full revelation of Jesus Christ, the one we're called to follow. And the Bible is God's story, and we need to understand that we are part of his story. I mean, think of it. The God of the universe, the God who created heaven here and earth, the God who created each of us, the God who put the stars in the sky, has a story, and he has each one of you in it. And each one of you has a purpose. And there's a plan for each one of you in this story. That's amazing. A true disciple understands how to use the the word in proper context, which is a pet peeve of mine. Sorry. Um, Lastly, it's a lifelong pursuit that defines, defines virtually everything about who we are, how we act, and what price we'll pay. So... Let's go to a couple of... Michelle, you were great this morning. Thanks for working, uh, working the beginning crowd here. It's exactly what we're going to be talking about. So we have the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Concentrate on the alls, okay? Look at the word alls. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, first thing, all authority. He's just been raised from the dead, so he has done it. And he comes back and he looks at his beautiful disciples and he says, I'm it. 
No one has more authority than me anymore. I have authority over everything in heaven and on earth. I have more authority than the President of the United States. I have more authority than your mom and dad. I have more authority than your boss. I have more authority than your professor. I have more authority than anyone. And I am telling you to go. Go and teach the nations what I have taught you, all of it. No cutting, no pasting, no buffet, no pick and choose what you want to believe in and what you want to do. If you're following me, you are following me as I am, whole, right? Whole. So all, all authority is his. Another thing to remember is, is that the Bible is um, Israeli-centric, Hebrew, Jewish-centric. So when they speak about the nations, they're talking about everything except Israel. Okay, so go to the nations. Check, you're already in the nations, right? And some people think that I'm called to the nations and I'm going to wait and use my gifts when I get to the other nations. No, no, use them here because you are in the nation, so you, you already have gone. You've been, you've been sprinkled perfectly. So use your gifts here and go forward. Use your gifts now. Touch the people around you. Bloom where you're planted. Be saying, but give them all of me. Tell them all of me, all about me. Don't draw back and give them the nice stuff because you want a convert. He doesn't want converts, he wants disciples. Right? He doesn't want people that stand, okay, I'm saved, I'm not going to go to hell, so I'm going to stand here, live my life the way I want to, and cheer him on. He doesn't want that. He wants someone who's passionately in love with him. It breaks my heart when I think he's in Gethsemane, crying by himself, and his disciples, the ones who are closest to him, are falling asleep in his greatest hour. And we see that again in Revelation. He's coming up from present-day Jordan, Edom, and he's coming up and his robes are just drenched with blood and he's alone. There's no one with him. He's alone. Disciples are like your best friends, the ones who have your back. He has ours in a huge way. He has been faithful to us unto death, faithful. Can we return the favor in our own little way? Can we? So the second one is, then the Lord said, come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The interesting about this, well, there's actually three, but the first one is, back in the day, you chose your rabbi really carefully, right? So he's saying, come and follow me. I'll be your rabbi. I'll be your teacher. Pick me, pick me. It doesn't say how many said no. I've always thought about that. Like, did he ask others, and they said, no, thank you? Or were these just the guys he was really right on and he, he picked the ones he wanted? But anyway, you would go through and you would pick your rabbi because they would do what you want to do. So if your rabbi was an eloquent speaker, then you would be expected to be an eloquent speaker. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. So anything Jesus does, his disciples are expected to do. So the question and the thought isn't, wow, wasn't Peter awesome hopping out on the water? The question is, why weren't the rest of the guys out on the water? He's their rabbi. Are we out on the water? He says we'll do greater things than he did. 
He says we'll do greater, but we have to have faith and know him and trust him and step out. Because the only way you're going to find out if you're going to sink or swim, like Michelle said, is to step out there and see what happens, right? And then he says, I will make you fishers of men. See, we do our part. We come and we follow him. He says, I will make you the fishers of men. That's not your job. You come follow me, and I will mold you. Pot, you know the potter? I will mold you, as long as you're yielding, into this person that I have adored since the beginning of time. I will make you into the person that is the best person for you. If you follow me. We do our part. He does his part. Okay, next one. Counting the cost. Counting the cost, we see. We've seen today, counting the cost, what that looks like. We've seen what that is. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. I think this, when I look at this, it strikes me that he first he says, let him deny himself. Gary touched on it a couple of weeks ago, the flesh, the mind, the will, and the emotion, and then your spirit. So your spirit should be ruling over your flesh, which are your appetites, and your mind, will, and emotions. Not that those are bad, but they are not the trumping thing, right? They're not. Your spirit should be triumphing, for the most part, because we're learning and we're growing over these other things. So he's saying, come, deny yourself. So take away all those things that, that you're struggling with. Remove them. Then take up your cross, because then you're going to find out what exactly is the thing that you're struggling with. You know, when you fast, you find out pretty quick what you're struggling with, what your issues are. Some people say, oh, I get so angry when I'm fasting. Fasting makes me angry. No, no, really you have anger in you, and fasting is bringing it up, right? Sorry. So we'll all be so crouchy next week. We'll hit 40 days and we'll be a church of grumblers. But anyway, it'll all come up to the surface. He knows what he's doing. But anyway, I think that's so interesting because he's saying here, let me show you, let's show you what, what's hard for you. Take it up and follow me. Follow me with those things that are so hard for you. Follow me with that sin you can't let go of. Follow me and I will help you. I will help you. But first we have to recognize what we're doing that's not right. We have to recognize the sin before we can go and have him help us out. We need to recognize what we're doing. It will cost us to make disciples. It costs us to be disciples. But I was thinking of a story of um, people that have discipled, and we know friends, and they took someone into their home discipling them, and they went to church on Sunday, and they came back, and all their furniture was gone. It's costly. They lost all their furniture. <laughs> But, you know, it's okay. It's just furniture, you know? But anyway, the, on the plus side, I mean, like we've seen, we've seen amazing discipleship stories in, in our own body, right? Right? Sarah and George, what a story. You should, you should get to know those guys. Really? Right? Right, you guys? She's, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. But I think it also costs us time. You know, we need, to, we need to give Jesus all of our lives. We can't, you know, the basic thing is, will you submit to this one that created you? Number one, do you believe that someone created you? Number one, do you believe that there's someone that created the heavens and the earth and that he created you 
And our job is to give him ownership back when we follow him. So he's in charge, not us. And I think that's where we really start having some trouble, some issues. But conceding that place to him is what opens up all the doors. Does it mean it's going to be easy? Absolutely not. My life has been much more difficult. Well, okay, so probably... I've been a Christian for 35 years, so you know I was a really... Not that real young, but I was, I was young when I became a Christian. Things were a little easier than a grown-up. But, you know, it's really hard being a Christian. Today, it's really hard being a Christian. Today, more so than 10 years, it's much more difficult. It's getting much more difficult. And I don't think it's going to get easier. And I think that's why he's refining us. In the prayer room a couple of Saturday nights ago, I wasn't there last night. Should have been, obviously. <laughs> I went when there was a seat to be had, and uh, just during worship, I had this really quick picture, and it was Jesus, and he was on his horse, and it was kind of terrifying because I know what it means when he's on his horse, and his hair was blowing, and he was looking out onto this sea, just I couldn't even see how far off it went, and it was us guys, all of the body of Christ that were called his were standing there in, in military garb. And he was looking at each one of us, but he was looking at all of us, as only Jesus can do. And it's, he could, like, hear what I was thinking. And I'm thinking, what is he doing? Like, what is he doing? And he's, I hear him say, I am telling them what they need to kind of tweak was the thought in their lives. I am showing them what they need to tweak because I do not want them to be harmed and I do not want to have to judge them. So what looked like, you know, I was thinking, oh, well, little iceberg things here and there. And what he was showing me was like, yeah, the iceberg, the, the little piece of ice on the ocean is actually an iceberg underneath. And so if you're feeling that tweaking, like that's not a big issue, he's saying, mm, I think it might be a little bit deeper, a little bit more than you think. So pay attention to what he's doing in this season because he doesn't want to judge us. He doesn't want to have our heads get lopped off in battle. But if we're not doing our part and being prepared, like Revelation, I think it's 19, says the bride makes herself ready. God's not making us ready, so to speak. We have got to take ownership of making ourselves ready, right? The bride makes herself ready. We need to be responsible. Um, you know, the blind side guy is a great disciple story, right? I don't know what his name is. Michael Olney? Orney? Yeah, big, big football fan. Um, <laughs> but, but I loved the movie because I loved, you know, this, this woman just sees this guy walking down the street and she brings him into her house. She doesn't even know who he is. She's daughter. I mean, it, it's an amazing true story of what that looks like and what has happened with their family and what has happened in his life. It's glorious. But let's go on to a little, uh, another, another topic. Um, incomplete disciples hinder the kingdom. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, we're reaping what we have sown. Um, when we water down scripture, um, we no longer tremble. We don't tremble at his word. We're not afraid of him because we don't think anything negative is going to happen. We have kind of given people Simba when we should have been giving them Mufasa the whole time. And Revelation 19.13 says, his robe is dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The whole word of God. I don't know... The Old Testament is unbelievable. Like, if you want to look at how a young person should walk out their lives, read the Old Testament. 
It is amazing the stories of what these young people lived through, how they made the decisions, what happened to them. I mean, think of it. They're 13 years old, 14, 15. Daniel, he's taken away from his mom and dad. He was rich, so he's this rich kid. We can probably relate some of us, right? Being taken away from your mom and dad, taken to a place where you have no idea what the language is, brought into the king's house, and put with the eunuchs. Usually, if you're put with one, you become one, okay? Then, he's given a different name, go. And what does he do? He walks with God. He walks with God. He doesn't complain. He doesn't, we don't hear any of that. He hangs on to his God's hand for everything he has. And look at what happens to his life. He gets the most profound revelation of things that are to come that anyone in scripture got. And he walks with God till he's 80, 85 years old, never goes back to his country. We don't know if he ever sees his family again, but he serves his God in the hard place. You know, I think we all, at one time or another, work for a Nebuchadnezzar. Do we look like Daniel in the working, in the working out of that? So, if we use scripture as a you know, buffet, as Gary calls it, menu, I call it, choosing what we want to read, we run the risk of making idols. So it's kind of like what happened with, you know, in Exodus with them crossing the Red Sea, and they just kind of picked and choose what they wanted, and they made this God that they loved. But guess what happens? When you make a God that's not our God that you make, when trouble comes, it will not withstand anything, and I think that's what happens. We have people, Corey Timbloon has this great story of she was over in the Far East, and people were saying, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. The missionaries came and told us he would save us from persecution, and he didn't. The persecution came. Persecution is going to come. He promises us. But if we tell people that it's all good and great and Jesus is so nice and loving, yes, he is. But he's more. He's more than that. And we must read the scriptures to understand who this Jesus is that we're following. Because if you're following just the guy of the Gospels, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors. You know, the, the book is, is able to withstand your questioning. But I think we need to read all of it. We need to know the entire story. If you know the entire story, then when you're on stage, you're doing your part. Did you ever go to a play and people didn't know what, this, their, what their part was? And they just kind of walk around? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, if you read the book, it's going to tell you what you're supposed to be doing. And how you teach others to follow him. It's amazing. Amazing. But we have fundamental fractures in our disciples. And when doors open and severe things take place, people fall away. And, and they're expected to. How can you expect someone to stand in, in really difficult situations when they don't know the truth of God? He's not what they told me. And I think, you know, it's just my opinion, but when I read this story, the end time talks about the church falling away, the great falling away of the church. And I think that's because we are actually going to think, because we don't know the story, that the Antichrist is Jesus and Jesus is the Antichrist. We will be so deceived, because that's what Jesus talks about more than anything, more about loving your neighbor, more than anything. He says, see to it that you do not let yourselves be deceived. And the way we were deceived is because we don't know the story, and we don't know what he's going to do next. 
So the Gospels alone, I've touched on this. If you look at the Gospels alone, that's only 9% of Jesus' life here on earth. Three years. Three of 33 years. There's more. Makes me wonder why we don't have more stories about Mary, because obviously the 91 he spent with her. Imagine what her life is. Imagine what she has to say. It blows my mind. I'm sure he adored his mom, and I'm sure she has wonderful stories. But um, Jesus is evident in old, the Old and the New Testament. This is, I'm just going to bring some books up that have really helped me tremendously. Um, if you can find a rabbi for a friend that's a believer, be really nice to them because they are awesome. This is a book called um, Who Ate Lunch with Abraham, and it talks about, it's a Jewish believer, and what he does is he points out where Jesus has been all through the Old Testament. And usually what you see is Jesus inside. Here, Nick, because I love you. Um, where Jesus is when he's inside of Israel, because Israel is centric, right? Inside of Israel, he's the man. Outside of Israel, he's the angel of the Lord. Um, the book of Revelation. It's my favorite. I'm sorry. It's my favorite, because maybe we can live through it. I'm, I'm so psyched. I am so, you know, like maybe this is the book. We can do it. But um, the book of Revelation is called the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not, the, the main point isn't events. The main point is the man. The man in the story. The man. His majesty and his glory. And it starts out that God says, I think it's like the first verses, this is the testimony of Jesus Christ from God. So God is giving us another glimpse of his son in three different years. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the first three chapters of Revelation, there are over 30 attributes of Jesus Christ. You could, you could spend the rest of your life feasting on that because he is Jesus. It's the same guy who says, follow me. Come on, follow me. Find out about me. See what I'm really like. Yeah, I'm awesome. I'm loving. But part of me is scary. Part of me is scary. Uh, let's see. It says in Revelation that uh, every eye will see him and everyone shall mourn. Every eye will see him and every eye will mourn. And I think the reason we're going to mourn is because when we see him, we are going to realize, should have done more. Should have done more. Should have done more. He's so glorious, and he's so lovely, and he's so beautiful. And this is the only time on earth. You know when we worship on Sundays? We worship on Sundays. You know, this is the only time in your whole eternal life that you will choose to worship Jesus Christ. Because when you die, it's not going to be an option for you. Whether you believed or didn't believe, you will be face down, as we see in the, in the apostles that caught glimpses of him. This is the only time in your life on a Sunday morning that you will stand and say, I choose to worship you in your goodness and your beauty and your majesty and your leadership. I choose to worship you. I think if you're a student of the book of Exodus, you'll be really comfortable with the book of Revelation because it kind of follows, it's tracking, you know, God, God doesn't change. So you'll see there'll be a present-day Pharaoh, there will be a present-day Moses, 
there will be all the plagues, all these things will be swirling around. But Gary and I have um, spent years studying Revelation and Daniel and Zechariah and Isaiah, and it's in the most marvelous story. It's the most magnificent thing, storyline. No man could possibly, possibly put that together. Only our God could. And it's all because he loves us, and he will do anything to get us back. He will do anything. This is a funny story about this song. So um, we was, I was in South Africa not too long ago, and I was on safari with this young worship leader who was awesome. They call their sunglasses sunnies. Do you have your sunnies? You know? <laughs> sunnies, what? sunnies, sunglasses. But anyway, um, with this worship leader from Perth, Australia, and he was telling me about this guy. Oh, Gary, can you go to, are you comfortable? Um, about this worship guy that he, he had met or something called Josh Garrels. Yeah. Do you know him? You guys all know him? I'm really old. But anyway, so then we came back, and Noah was telling Gary about this guy, Josh Garrels. I'm like, got to listen to this guy. But anyway, really like this guy, because you don't hear many stories about Jesus in Revelation. You don't. You don't hear many songs about them, but here's one. He's like a lion like a lamb, as though slain he holds the plan, which would be the scroll, right? To make war and peace with men and reign on earth. Holy, holy is the one who was and is and is to come. In a robe as red as blood, he comes forth, riding like lightning in the sky. Upon a war horse he draws nigh. The same one we crucified will come again. It's a great song. It's my song of the month. I play like the same song for a month, and so it's really in there. I won't sing it for you, because you won't appreciate it. But anyway, so... Wrapping up, we are part of a never-ending story, a story that goes on through eternity. We're in the same story as Abraham, as Isaac. It's the same story. They're up in heaven going, come on, come on. It's the same story. We died for this story. Get off the couch for this story. Come on. And we need to be students of the whole book you know, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. I asked God to take out all the fruit of all the things that were not causing eternal fruit in my uh, eternal rewards fruit in my life. That's really important to me. I am a reward. I love the thought of rewards. I love the thought of crowns and light and ah, I can't wait. But anyway, I said, take away everything in my life that does not have eternal fruit. Take it away. And guess what? I had some time on my hands. Because it's amazing the things that, you know, from my point of view, I thought, wow, this is good. And from his point of view, not so much. So I said, well, now what do you want me to do? I said, I want you, I, it was uh, this time of year. It was September, end of September. And he said, read through the entire Bible, beginning to end. And I thought, sure, right. But what happened was when I was reading, I realized many things that I had been taught, I, know, didn't, I didn't believe anymore. See, you're not going to stand up with some teacher when you stand before Christ. We stand up by ourselves. We are responsible, especially in this country. Nobody's head's getting whacked off because you have a Bible and you read it. They're not plucking your eyes out. Right? So he said, read it. And then he said, 
after that, so I read it, and, and so by, you know, New Year's Eve, I was reading Revelation, you know, up till two seconds before midnight, gotta, gotta finish, gotta finish, gotta finish, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do right now. I am so stunned by what the book says and what I had been taught and taken in. And I thought, what do I do? And he said, go back and read it chronologically because the Bible is not in chronological order. It was like, so a friend of mine, what are we doing for time here? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Very good. Okay, because um, I do want to tell that story. But um, a friend of mine was at a different church in Boston. This was way back in the day, before phones, before iPhones. And she called and said, this speaker, this guest speaker is coming, which I really loved this person and wanted to meet them. She said, you want to come with me? And I'm like, yes. And then we devised this plan. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to talk about in the car? Because it's like a 10-minute ride. And we came up with all these questions. But we had like, this is only a 10-minute ride. We have all these questions. We thought, it's before phones. She doesn't have a phone. We'll just kidnap them. They don't know. They don't know the city. They don't know how far they're going. <laughs> we will get all our answers Answers taken care. She here. She said she might come. If she was going to come, I was going to make her stand up and say she was the driver. It was her. But um, so we did. We got this person in the car. We were really nice. And I sat right behind the driver. <laughs> so what do you think about this? So what do you think about that? You know. And then when we were done, after we'd seen the Sitco sign like three times, I'm like, you've got to be a little more creative. <laughs> if we're going to be, if we're going to be kidnapping people. You know, you. <laughs> We've got to work on our little deal here a little bit. So then when we were done, I just put my foot under the chair and gave her a good kick. And then she knew we could take this person to where they're really supposed to go. We said, kidnapped without knowing. It was, it was great. But in that whole story, zeal is awesome when you're a youngster. You can't do that now because they'll, they'll Google it and they'll realize they're being kidnapped and they'll call the police on you. But um, one of the questions that we asked this person was what what is the most important, give us like the most important things that you would tell someone that wants to go further with Christ. If it were me, one of the most important things you can do is knowing this story, beginning to end. Understanding the context. Understand how he's using it. Because really the context of go and make disciples, that whole thing at the end it says, lo, I am with you. The context of that is when you're making disciples. Because he knows how scary it is. Nobody likes to have someone, you know, think they're a jerk. Especially today. I mean, wouldn't it be more cool to be, oh, let me tell you about the Dalai Lama. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. You know? Jesus, it's like, oh, I've heard about him. Know about his followers. No thanks. It's different. But he knows how hard it is. And so he says, I am with you through that. You are not alone when you talk to that person. You are not alone. I am right there with you. Feel me right there with you. Reach out for me. And I will give you the words to speak. I will tell you what to say. There's this man that Gary and I met through um, a business that we have. And he was telling me a story. And he, was, he thought he was a believer. He, you know, who knows. But <clears throat> he was going to church. He's our age. And he was on the phone with his friend. And he had no words to describe this. He's on the phone with his friend. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he starts seeing this, this movie play out. Like if I said, an ice cream sundae with whipped cream, cherry on top, with rose, little sprinkles. Do you all see that, right? 
You kind of see that in your mind as I describe it. Well, this is what was happening to him. His life was being written out. He knew it was his life. He's writing it, somebody is writing it out, and then they take it and they put it in the Bible. Now he's talking to his friend. I mean, how crazy is this? Then what happens is people start reading the book and they all get to his life and they say, that doesn't belong here. His life does not belong in this book. And it caused the man to crumble. And he said, I am not the man, like the man you meet now is not the man that was to, the first thing I did was quit my church, not that I'm advocating quitting a church, but because they itched my ears and told me I was fine when really I was not. And it was an amazing thing, but it was also because this poor man, I mean, he's this big man, he, he is so tender. He, he drops, like he cries like for like, like nothing. He's crying because the goodness of God, because he's touched him. And now he and his wife, just because they're going to, they're trying to wipe out hunger in Framingham by themselves. So they've decided how much money they, ha- they need to live on. They put a little buffer on that, and they said, we will never take more than that as a salary. The rest goes to the poor. And they are so faithful, this horrifying winter. So what they did, they have a food truck, and they converted it. It was a, I think it was an ice cream truck. They converted it anyway. And they go to the projects in Framingham, Tuesday and Thursday night, rain, sleet, snow, this past winter, and they feed the poor. Free. They pay for it. Amazing things. But would our life fit in the book? Would people read it and say, oh, yeah, she's, she adores him. Look what she does for him. Look at the way he conducts his business. He obviously loves and honors me. It's a question we all have to ask ourselves. I'd rather ask the hard questions now than stand before him and go, boy, that was bad, hard. So lastly, finishing up, like all weapons, if you don't study and practice it, it's ineffective or even worse, dangerous. Jesus was a master swordsman. It's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God that's so powerful in a gazillion different ways because he's just coming through a 40-day fast. So he's hungry, right? Interesting enough, the thing about food is is that it's everywhere in Scripture when you look at it. We have Esau, Crystal touched on this a little while ago. Esau, Esau sold his birthright for what? Bowl of stew. Then we have in Deuteronomy, so Jesus is quoting God. God talks to Moses and saying, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. That's what you live on. That's what my people live on, not just the food thing. Then we have Jesus. Man does not live by bread alone. Like, what's with the food? We have Jesus multiplying food time and again in Scripture. Well, think about it, though. If you know what the end of the story is, you know that people will sell their eternal life for a bowl of stew. The mark of the beast is food. So time and time again, he is telling us, man does not live by bread alone. He's good for it. It may not be filet mignon, but it will be what you need. That's how the scripture works, and you see his hand pulling together all these parts. It's amazing, an amazing book. Peter, on the other hand, not so much. We see Peter 
whacking the guy's ear off, right? Jesus is like, what on earth are you doing? I see this on Facebook. Christians with their swords. Whack, whack. We've got to be careful. We have to love people. There's a difference between ignorance and rebellion. There's a difference between innocence and rebellion. Jesus was angry with us guys. He was very kind to the sinner, welcoming them in. Jesus didn't want the guy's ear cut off, even though Peter thought that was the best thing to do. So, finishing up quickly. Can you guys all stay and help clean up? Put things, would that be okay? If everybody just did one thing, then we would be done. Look at he split quick, okay? So, in the book of Daniel, Daniel's one of my favorite books besides Revelation, besides Deuteronomy, all of it. Those who are wise, <laughs> those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. I love New King James. And those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. Those who are wise, those who know the story are going to shine like stars in the kingdom of God. Those who know the story and lead many to righteousness. You can't lead people if you don't know where you're going. You can't teach what you don't know. But, but it's so easy for us to know it because the Holy Spirit is so good when we're reading it going, I don't get this. Oh, I get this. I get this. I'll help you. I'll help you. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Love people the way he loves us. Jeez, I have so far to go. Um, that you would love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. That's, he said, that's the marker, that you love one another. And we see that here in this community is so beautiful in taking care and loving one another. It's amazing. So they'll know if, the, if you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then lastly, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even unto death. Something to think about. Um, two books, sorry. I want to do quickly. Um, there is a Bible in chronological order, okay, but it's not on Kindle, so it's big and heavy. And um, this, one of my favorite teachers, Bible teachers, told me, oh, you've got to get this book. It's really great. And I thought, oh, good, little book. And it turned out like, oh, my gosh, you're kidding me. Okay, looks horrifying, you know, looks boring, looks like one of your books from school. Probably the, next to the Bible, the best book I ever read because it's a life's work. It's a man's life work. And it's each book of the Bible broken down as to what's going on, what's the point, what's he trying to say. It is so good here. It is good. It is good. Okay, so the story. So I still, sorry, I was kind of hopping around, so I still have some Starbucks cards. So I'll just leave them here. If you need coffee this week, just grab them, okay? God says, feed the kids. You know, he says, feed my kids. Like, okay. I know, I know. Two of my, two of my boys are here. Can you, can you stand up? Can you guys stand up, please? Please. They're, they're going to be mad at me. Yay! I have loved being their mama. I truly have. Okay, so here's the story. You ready? Okay, okay. So this story cost me. It cost me huge. Because it meant 
now I'm going to cry. Because it meant to, to get this story, I wasn't with my dad when he died. Okay? So God knew there was a huge price on this story. But it was more important for me to hear the story than be with my dad. So Gary and I are on a plane going to Hong Kong. Off to China we go. And we're way in the back where we always are. My kids always say, why are we always in the last seat? Like, I don't know, but we always are, right by the toilets. But so there we are. Gary has aisle, as always. I have window, as always. And there's a seat, and it's empty, right? I'm thinking, oh, thank God, thank you. This is a nonstop. You know, your knees are like this. And they say, the stewardess says, okay, the doors are closed. I'm like, oh, great, the doors are closed. This is empty. And then we see this little head coming towards us. I'm like, oh. Here she comes. It's the only seat left. Here she comes, this tiny little Chinese lady. And she just sat there very quietly in the middle seat, squished. And she's reading this book. And she's weeping. And I'm like, oh, what's going on here? She's weeping. She's reading her book. And then they mixed up our meals, so I had to talk to her. And so I said, uh, what book are you reading? What's it about? And she goes, it's about Jesus. And I said, oh, and it turns out we had just come back from Mozambique, and it turns out it was Roland Baker's dad's book that he wrote. Of course, you're going to be weeping. And I said, oh, I know his son. And she said, you do? And I said, yes. I said, how did you meet Jesus? How did you find him in China? Because she's obviously Chinese, like national and Chinese national. And she said, well, when I was a little girl, my dad died, like really little, two, I would say two or three. And so my mom saved up enough college, money for college for one year for each one of us, right? So just before she graduates, she applies for a visa because she's an opera singer, and she's going to go to Italy. She's been accepted at school, and she's going to be trained as an opera singer. Great. So she's all set. Visa's been sent away for. She's just about to graduate, and a man comes through her room at night. And she said he was dressed in white and his face was that of many nations. And I knew it was Jesus, even though she'd never heard of Jesus. And he came over and he kissed my head, and I had never been kissed before. No one had ever kissed her before. And she said, the minute he kissed me, all the pain and the bitterness and the hurt of my life just went away. And I knew I would have to follow him forever. And so then, a couple of days later, she gets her visa, but get this, it's to the United States. It's to, she, he did it. It's not to Italy. She didn't apply for a visa to the United States. Like, who stamped it, God? <laughs> but she knew, she knew that she had to follow and that this was part of her plan. So she applies, she gets accepted to Juilliard. So, like, we're not talking about She's not that good. She's really good. She goes to New York, so she has to get a job. She applies for a job to be a nanny, Park Avenue. She gets the job. The husband's a pastor. He's in New York for four years. Funny thing, so is she. They disciple her and disciple her, and they pour their lives into her life, and she goes back to China and she has her whole family get saved. She meets this man. He gets saved. They get married. And they are one of the five founders of the underground church in China. And she's never sang opera for anybody again. Only Jesus hears that from her. That's our God. 
that's the one who says, come and follow me. Preach the word to all the nations, but preach all of it. And I will make you fishers of men. <laughs>